We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 in just a few minutes. Uh, first, I am Dan Henley, happy to be here with my wife, Beth, and we are always delighted to worship here at King's Chapel, which we're able to do about a couple of times a year this year, especially sweet because uh, 21, my 21 closest relatives there joining in the worship of our Savior with us. That was uh, tremendous and a great blessing to my heart. But you know, if I was anywhere near Carrollton on a Sunday, I would definitely be here anyway, if for nothing else, for the great coffee and the bananas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nothing says genuine Guatemalan roast like a banana on the side. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, so we had a great, great morning and a sweet day. Ephesians chapter 2, this is a chapter um, in which we find no manger, no shepherds, no angels, just a, just a uh, magnificent description of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, after all, the one that Christmas is all about. We will focus this evening on one verse in this second chapter. It is the ninth verse. It's a short verse, but it's also very significant in the light of many misconceptions, popular misconceptions, about the way of God's salvation. When you see the gospel of Jesus Christ for what it really is, you'll see there's nothing that can compare to the beauty of the gospel. Ephesians 2 verse 4, I'll read just a few verses to give us some context. After describing our lostness in the first three verses, the apostle Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So verse 9 instructs us by way of the negative. It tells us two things about God's salvation. First of all, it tells us what it is not, not as a result of works. And secondly, we read what it is unto, what it is designed for, so that no one may boast. So just as the first part of this verse is designed to protect us against any misunderstanding of the way of God's salvation, so too the the latter really does the same thing. In verse 8 of Ephesians 2, a verse that many of you know, we are told that uh, salvation is by grace through faith. In verse 7 of this chapter, we are told it is designed to glorify the grace of God. And verse 9 gives us two clarifying negatives. It says to us, hey, if you understand salvation to include any works at all, then you don't understand it rightly. And if you understand it to include anything at all that a person could boast about or take credit for, then again, you're misunderstanding something. So our text today is simply a purpose clause. It speaks to the question of design, the question of intent, and it tells us that God designed salvation with the specific intention that it should bring no glory to any human. It should bring all the glory to Christ and Christ alone. To quote an angel friend of mine, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. We can expect that God's design of our salvation will perfectly match its purpose, and it does. 
Verse 7 said, in the ages to come, the purpose is that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards, towards us in Christ Jesus. So, we see there that God's goal in salvation is to show off his surpassing grace for all eternity, to bring glory unto his name and to keep it from whom? From any human being at all. That's why verse 9 says, so that no one should boast. And he designed salvation so that it is totally by grace, totally a gift of God. You've heard this in recent weeks, I expect, and it leaves not the slightest ground at all for human works. Do you see that? Say yes. All right, good. Thank you. Now, this particular addition to the apostles' thought, this addition in verse 9 can serve as a test Will your idea of yourself, uh, what is your idea of yourself as a Christian? How did you become one of us? Does your idea somehow bring credit to you? Does it give you any grounds of feeling superior? Does it in any way reflect credit upon yourself? Our natural human pride, I think, looks for something like that, for some way to gain points for me. Our text can serve, I think, as a test of our thinking on these matters. Does my view of salvation leave anything for which I can take credit? If so, Paul is telling us that we're in the grip of a serious misunderstanding. There's three very popular delusions about these matters. First is that of liberalism or legalism, pick the L word you want to utilize, which says that our do-goodism, our niceness, our service to mankind, that is, what, that is what saves us, that makes us acceptable. That cannot be, says Paul, because then you would have all kinds of grounds for boasting. You essentially save yourself. The second popular delusion, Andrew referred to it in brief this morning, is that of sacramentalism. This is the delusion that says that our willing participation in some church ceremony contributes to our salvation. But again, that can't be right, for under that system, there is the inclusion again of my own activity, my own effort, and there is the essential addition of religious works, which Paul excludes in verse 9 of Ephesians 2. The third pop, uh, popular delusion is something that uh, you may be less familiar with. We sometimes refer to it as Arminianism, which says that we don't contribute in the way of works or in the way of the sacraments, but we do contribute our faith. Now, that is coming very close. That's coming very close to the truth, to what the apostle teaches, because faith is the one thing that is required. But that perspective fatally misunderstands the origin of that faith. Some think that faith may be generated from within myself. The biblical view is in verse 8 of Ephesians 2, where we find that even your faith is not of yourself. It is the gift of whom? God. You cannot boast about your works because they don't count. You can't boast about your faith because you aren't responsible for it. God is responsible for the whole thing. That's how Ephesians, not Ephesians, but Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 could speak of Jesus and say that he is what? The author, depending on your translation, the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. It is all of him. It is all of him. We contribute nothing. Top lady wrote that great hymn that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. 
Foul, I, to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. There's nothing we can do for ourselves, nothing we did do for ourselves. It is all of the Lord, and that is exactly how God wants it because He intends to receive all the praise. Now, you can see God's purpose at work in His saving activity when you consider how God saves and whom God saves. How does He save? You've learned this in recent weeks, I think, by grace through faith, right? Say that with me. By grace through faith. The one requirement he makes of us is faith. But in Romans 4, Paul argues that the very requirement proves his point. In Romans 4 and verse 1, he says, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? Can we move on to that verse? Do we have that? Okay. Romans 4, what then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. You see that? There's this emphasis, if you read the letters of Paul, on the issue of boasting and where the credit goes. He makes a big deal about it. Paul says if it can lead to boasting, then it is wrong. This excludes any human works. And so in verse 3, he goes on to say, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it, his faith, was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as, as a favor, but as what is due. So he says, if you do something to get it, then, well, you sort of earned it. But just believing, that's not a work at all. And it is not even something you do because it too is the gift of God. Faith is not something of which you can feel proud. If you were to come to me and hand me a gift tonight, which I'm not expecting, but if you did, and you said, Pastor, I'm giving you this gift, and you stick it in my hand, Do I uh, somehow think well of myself because I believed you when you gave me the gift? See, I could not help but believe you because the evidence was persuasive. There's no merit there for me in that. There's no hint of merit for me in that. There is only merit if there's any merit at all to the giver. How God saves, that is by His grace, through faith alone, that ensures that to Him alone goes the glory. Secondly, who God saves serves the very same purpose. We really don't know why exactly God chose to save the ones He did, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us some unusual insight into that matter. There in verse 26, Paul says, "'For for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh.'" Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He might nullify the things that are, so that, say it with me, so that no man may boast before God. Let's go on and read the next verse together too. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You can stop there. How did you get in Christ Jesus? Wasn't by your doing, was it? It was by His doing, God's choosing. And He chose the ones He chose in order to ensure that nobody could boast. Sent by 
angels to the manger in Bethlehem were what kind of persons? Lowly shepherds. You can't look at the membership of the body of Christ. You can't look at the membership of the church and then say to yourself, well, it's apparent that God chose us because we are just a finer stock. We are, uh, we are better breeding. We are of higher moral quality. In fact, Paul notes that there is a noticeable absence of the social upper crust. Some, yes, but not many. Why not? God's election served the purpose of securing His glory and preventing our own. Let me say that again. God's election served the purpose of securing His glory and preventing our own. For several years, I coached a youth league basketball team, of which Andrew was a part, and every year on one particular day, the coaches for that upcoming season would gather to select the players who would be on our team. We had a draft, okay? And uh, as we gathered together and looked at the players, go through their drills, and then we sat in our room and started making our selections, you know what kind of players I was looking to choose for my team? I was looking to pick the best players I could. You know why? Because I like to win. Actually, I like to have fun, but I've determined and watched all through experience and, and realized that you have more fun winning than losing. So, uh, so I would go into that room intent on trying to pick for my team the best players. Like every other coach was doing. Now, for six out of eight years, our team won the championship. You know why? Because we had the best players, starting with our left-handed point guard. If we had not won with the guys that we had on our team, I would have looked bad. But consider this. If I wanted to really impress people with what a great coach I was, I would have gone to that coach's meeting and I would have picked any seven or eight ragtag, mediocre, crummy players in the league and I would have coached them up, and I would have sent them out there, and we would have won the championship, and after that, everybody would have looked at me, and they would have said, wow, coach, you are amazing. <laughs> I didn't have enough confidence to try that. But consider this. That is precisely the kind of thing that our Lord has done with His election of His people unto salvation. You look at the 12 disciples Jesus chose, and they were not impressive. They were referred to in the early chapters of Acts as uneducated and untrained men. With Jesus, the raw talent does not matter. Like He told Gideon, I can win with many, I can win with few. In fact, I like to work with the likes of you just to show off how good I am. Isn't that neat? I think that's terrific. God's purpose is that nobody, nobody's going to boast about themselves. Everybody's going to marvel at God's grace and look at him and say, what a Savior. 
And one application to us is this, that we want to make sure we're not found trying to steal the glory that belongs to the Lord. My subject assigned to me tonight by your pastor is soli deo gloria to God alone. Gloria in excelsis deo. We don't take credit for ourselves, not even our own, not even in our own thoughts. Romans 3, verse 23, you know this one, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on and says, being justified as a gift by His grace, as a gift by His grace. How many ways can He say it? (laughs) As a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And then He goes on in verse 27 to ask, where then is boasting? It is excluded. The gospel won't allow us to boast. If you want to boast, then look for another religion. Become a Jehovah's Witness. Become, become a Muslim and work your way into heaven. But when you come to Christ, you sign a contract that says Jesus gets all the royalties. Jesus gets all the praise. Jesus gets all the glory. The only boasting that will be done on judgment day by human beings will be done by those who are the goats headed into eternal darkness. They're the only ones that are going to be talking about what they did. Matthew 7, Jesus in verse 22 talks about people on judgment day who are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They're going to say, Mr. Jesus, look, look at what we did for you. And Jesus will look at them and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, it's not what you do, it's who you know. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in the third chapter of Philippians. You look at that scripture, remember that the man who wrote it, the man who said that no one should boast, the man who said that boasting is excluded. Paul was a man who before his conversion knew a great deal about boasting. He was proud of himself. He was proud of his religion. He was proud of his nationality and his tribe and his upbringing and his education and his morality and his knowledge. Later, speaking as a Christian, he said in Philippians 3.3, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. That's how he came to think. But this marked a dramatic change in Saul, become Paul's thinking about these things. He goes on and he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. There in verse 7, he says, all these things he mentioned were, that's past tense, were gained to him. They were the things he boasted in. They were the things he gloried in. They were the things he trusted in. They were his identity and his salvation. But he came to see by the grace of God that all of that stuff is irrelevant. He says that he learned it isn't what you do. It isn't what you know, but it's who you know that really matters. It's who you know that really matters. Verse 8 then of Philippians 3, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of what? What's it say? The surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
So what does the Christian do? He puts no confidence in his merits. Nothing he's done, is doing, ever will do is the cause of his confidence before God. Christ is. Christ is. Paul says the believer glories in what? Well, it's not a what, is it? It's in who? We boast in Christ. We glory in Him. You know, the gospel is designed to make Him look wonderful. And it does. Now, let's face it. Every one of us needs something to boast in. We all need something to boast in. I mean, we all need something to make us feel significant, to make us feel special. Heard of a little boy who decided that his boast was going to be in his baseball ability, and he went out in his backyard, and you know, a little boy growing up like I did without anybody living around me and having to do his sports all by himself, and he went out in his backyard by himself, and he took his ball, and he threw it up in the air, and he swung and he said, I am the greatest hitter in the world. But he missed. The ball fell to the ground. He picked it up again. He said, I am the greatest hitter in the world. He threw it up and swung again. Whiff. Third time. Tossed the ball, swung with all his might, missed it. And as he looked at the ball on the ground, he looked up and he said, I am the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> We all need something to feel good about, something to boast in, but sometimes we have to adjust. We have to adjust the ground of our boasting. And my point is this Christians do boast. Christians ought to boast. Paul's point in Ephesians 2 9 is not that we should glory in nothing, but that we are to glory in Christ. We are the Jesus fan club. I expect almost all of you know what it means to glory in another, to boast in someone else. You parents do this fairly routinely, or grandparents do this. You boast about your children, your grandchildren. You glory in them. You want everybody to know that that's your daughter on the stage playing the flute. Sports fans glory in their athletic heroes. The guys in our family went to the College Football Hall of Fame yesterday, (laughs) and it was a chance there to glory in some of my old Heroes of SEC championships past. You know what it's like to do that. Some of you used to live and die with Herschel Walker and Cam Newton and Bear Bryant and their championships and exploits. You love to hear about them. You love to talk about how great they were. You found significance in your own connection with them. Well, how about you? What is it with you? Is it some sports team? Is it some company? Is it some cause? These are the things we believe make us who we are. They make us special. They make us significant. They become our boast. Well, what is it for believers in Jesus? Paul gave us the answer. We glory in Christ. David wrote in Psalm 34, 2, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. We love to speak of him. We love to sing of Him. We love to hear of Him. What matters to us, it's not our noble deeds, but our knowing Jesus. The Christian believes that what makes me special is simply this, that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, gave His life to make me His. Everything else fails to compare. 
The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is not that the unbeliever glories in his wealth and his social status or his ability and the Christian glories in his religious work and his moral qualities. Oh, no. The Christian boasts in Christ alone, and our goal is to make Jesus famous. We want everybody to know who he is. We want everybody to know what he's done for us. And so Galatians 6.14, the apostle Paul writes this, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it never be that I would boast except in this one thing. In the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross, your thought life is the best test of where you are on these matters, but much can be determined as well by the words that come out of your mouth. This boasting in Jesus, this this Christ-centered pride and delight, it's something that must and it will come out of your mouth. It's the heart and soul of Christian worship. When we sing, we cheer for Jesus, we glory in him, and that worship reveals what's in our hearts. Those of you who are still, in some respects, boasting in yourself, who still think that you're in control, who still think you're sufficient, you're good enough, you will have little motivation to praise Jesus. But if you know Christ, if you boast not in yourself but in Him, then, my friend, you will have the spirit of a John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace or Isaac Watts whose song we sang this morning, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. But Watts also wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. My brothers and sisters, that is the spirit of the Reformation which we have celebrated this fall. And that is the spirit of Christmas which we celebrate tonight and tomorrow. And we celebrate it because we glory in Christ who becomes ours by grace through faith unto good works, unto faithful witness, and unto everlasting worship. And because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, the sole sufficient Savior of lost sinners. We adore Him. We brag on Him. We worship Him. We bear witness of Him. And we do so with Brother Martin and with John Calvin and with John Knox and with Philip Melanchthon. And we do so with Thomas Chalmers and all the faithful martyrs and fathers and mothers in the faith faith who have passed down to us This good word of grace that we declare tonight and have declared these last weeks in this place. So, we wrap up then by singing tonight with the angels who at Christmas proclaim glory to God in the highest, gloria in excelsis Deo. Someday we're going to sing it together with all the saints and all the angels in the presence of the one who is the only true hero of the church our Lord Jesus himself. Ed, come on up here, brother, and lead us in worship.